fucking, what do you want him to come in here and fucking touch all your shit? Your fucking soap, your fucking... Dude, wait, your, let's throw him a blanket or something. Your, your douche or some shit? No, he's not fucking coming in here. I guess everyone's a dad with one good scare. Do you want to play psycho? What are you playing for? Can I be the helpless? We all go a little mad sometimes. Welcome back, gays, schools, and everyone in between to our podcast, The Horror Bandwagon. The podcast where I make my scaredy cat skeptical and wonderful fiance watch horror movies with me. That's me. I'm the fiance. My name is Sergio. And my name is Cody. And we are boys for horror analysis. Criticism. And spooky. And sometimes cookie. Entertainment. And Cody, what are we doing for today? Well, guys, I hope you remember to pack your hand sanitizer because you are going to need it this weekend when we go off into that cabin in the middle of the woods. As one does. Guys, the germs in this episode are definitely in full force. Oh, yeah. Cody, have you seen uh, this movie? And by this movie, I don't even know if you've introduced the movie name yet. But if you're clicking on this episode, you probably already know it is called Cabin Fever. Mm -hmm. I know we've seen it once a while ago. Yeah, we did see it once a long time ago. Was this Um, during our like uh, pandemic marathon? I think it was. (laughs) If you guys don't know of our uh, infamous pandemic marathon, uh, when the world was initially shutting down and we didn't really know a lot about this virus and everybody, you know, everybody was pretty much on edge. I, th- I think it's mostly my idea, if I'm being correct. It is. That we decided to watch a bunch of zombie movies, yes. uh, apocalyptic movies. Yes, we decided. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the, is it the sadistic or masochistic side of me? It would be the masochistic there side we go. of you. Yeah, I, I just had to put on Contagion and really spook myself into this. Um, but here we are in 2022. It's still somewhat strong Mm -hmm. (laughs) but we are revisiting cabin fever for this week also i think it's time for us to address something from last week's episode uh we completely failed and forgot to mention our theme there's actually a whole theme that is the main reason why we chose final destination and why we chose to cover it if you listen to the full episode and hopefully you guys have listened if you have not it's out right now go listen to the final destination episode it was a lot of fun towards the end like when we're signing off we i legit like thought oh my god we totally forgot to mention the theme uh which if you guys didn't know based on the social media the theme of this month is the month of fears which focus we focus on horror movies that complement real life phobias that are out there in the world and last week we discussed the fear of thanatophobia with the movie final destination which kind of makes sense it goes hand in hand the fear of death uh everyone is trying to avoid death the that's design so we were like okay that makes sense and of course there's like a ton of movies that we could have used but i just thought you know we haven't done final destination and it's such a popular start to the franchise that maybe this will be a good time to introduce it and if you guys want us to cover the rest of the franchise let us know because we do have our signature month of, of franchise where we just focus on each movie in the franchise don't give us a nightmare on elm street because We've already had a few of theirs, mm-hmm. but if we were to, that would take maybe like two, three months. Yeah, if we were going to do all of them. 
But this week, uh, since we are covering cabin fever, we are discussing the phobia of mysophobia, which is the fear of germs, which I also feel like it's also called germophobia. Yeah, it is. I just thought that mysophobia sounded a lot more fancy. Yeah, it's more scientific. You know, it's kind of like, okay, no, this is important. I have the fear of mysophobia. You have the fear of being scared of germs? Wait. <laughs> don't try to don't try to make me think here on this podcast. Uh no, and also I feel like if you use germophobia, maybe some people are like, do you just make that up? <laughs> but then if you say mysophobia, I feel like people will be like, You're afraid of mice? Or oh, I was about to say miso soup, but not that was a that was a reach. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, guys, we're going to talk about all things germs in this episode. For next week, we're going to be covering arachnophobia, which is obviously the, the fear of spiders. And we're covering the movie Arachnophobia with the folks over at Homies of Horror with Erica and Roshane. We honestly, this is a longtime collaboration that I've been wanting to do um, ever since we started the podcast. So we are so excited to have them on next week. Mm -hmm. We also are going to have a podcast on Elm Street, Mark and Brooke on with us for the Fear of Clowns episode, which is going to be killer clowns from outer space. So with that being said, guys, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go ahead and go into our bloody appetizers. Stay tuned. Welcome back, ghouls. It is now time for our... Appetizers! Segment. And this is the segment where we give you a few little tidbits, behind-the-scenes action, and just how this movie came to be. Absolutely. So... Cabin Fever. It was released on September 12th, 2003. The budget was $1.5 million. Okay. And for opening weekend, it made $8.4 million, which I feel like is good. I yeah. think with a low budget, I think this was considered independent film um, because it is one of the first Eli Roth creation. Mm -hmm. um, I think it did pretty well. I think this is a good amount of money. And then it ended up grossing over 30 million dollars at the worldwide That's which is bad. is pretty good and i believe there are sequels out there we have not seen them and we don't know if they're good or not but i believe because of their success they decided to make more sequels it was written by eli roth himself and his roommate at the time and collaborator randy perlstein they also got back together to make the remake that was released in 2016 of cabin fever which I also haven't seen. I've seen clips of it. I think people have said it's pretty much kind of the same. Um, and it's weird because at the time when I heard that there was going to be a Cabin Fever remake, I felt like it. I felt like we didn't need it. I feel like why are we remaking this film? I feel like it, it came out just like a couple years ago. Yeah, it but it was a while really ago. Soon. I mean. Still, 13 years is not that long. True. If you're thinking of like a, a ton of other movies that we should want to remake, 
this wasn't just at the top of my list, but hey, maybe there are people there who are, are saying like, no, guys, don't shit on it. It's really good. Go take a watch, which I'm sure we will at some point. It was also directed by Eli Roth, and Eli Roth is a horror icon. Mm -hmm. He is very well known in the horror community. He created Hostel, which got a lot of people, including myself, scared to go just, uh, what was it, backpacking? Is that what it is, to like travel around the world? Yeah. Yeah. So I that got me scared going just like to places that I'm not usually known to go to so uh he's also known for inglorious bastards he was he took part in it he's very well known being collaborating with quentin tarantino that's kind of like his um well i would say quentin tarantino is eli's protege no eli roth is is quentin tarantino's protege yeah yes that there we go that makes more sense uh he also made death wish and he was the producer of haunt and he's also done a bunch of other things and for our cast, we have Ryder Strong as Paul, Jordan Ladd as Karen, James DeBello as Bert, Serena Vincent as Marcy, Joey Kern as Jeff, Ari Verveen as Henry the Hermit, Giuseppe Andrews as Deputy Winston, Eli Roth as Justin slash Grime, Adam Roth as the happy bald guy, Robert uh -huh. Harris as Old Man Cadwell, and Hal Courtney as Tommy. Did you know anybody in this cast previous to the movie? Not really. No? I mean, I, I knew Ryder Strong. He played Sean Hunter in Boy Meets World. Uh, I There's no way I could not know him. He was a big part of my growing up. So it was very fun to see him. I love when, you know, just sitcom stars star in um, horror movies. Yeah. I just feel like they're so cool. Uh, Jordan Ladd, I actually didn't know at the time, but then while researching this, I forgot that she was in Death Proof. She's one of the girls in the beginning portion of that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, which also has Eli Roth in it, and it was directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, besides that, I didn't really know anyone else that stood out to me, which is, which is good. Uh, it's not a bad thing. Oh, I also knew Serena Vincent from not another teen movie she played uh like a parody on shannon elizabeth from american pie and she like was like naked the whole time eli roth co-wrote cabin fever with friend and former nyu roommate randy perlstein in 1995 while roth was working as a production assistant for howard stern's private parts Early attempts to sell the script were unsuccessful because studios felt that the horror genre had become unprofitable. But in 1996, the film Scream was released to great success, leading the studios to once again become interested in horror properties. Roth still could not sell his script, as studios told him that it should be more like Scream. Yeah, I can kind of see that, that feedback coming around. Uh, I feel like... Any any of our up and coming horror directors now were trying to release horror movies or creating horror movies back then, and you know we do know that there was like a dip in horror movies coming out, horror interest at that time, and then I feel like it always goes back to Scream. I just think it's interesting because today horror is so diverse. There's so many different kinds of horror that appreciate. are out there. I appreciate it too, but it's just like, it's so strange to me that not only was there a time where movie movie studios were like, no, you can't make money off of horror. Like it's, it's not, so it's not a real genre anymore. And then I mean, screen comes out and they're like, you can only do a movie if it's like basically scream, but a different concept. 
Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I do still feel like there is a stigma against horror movies, especially when it comes to award season. Oh, yeah. People really do look down on horror movies, which is like, what the hell? What's the difference if it's still making uh, a good plot and a good movie overall? What the hell's the difference? Um, but regardless, I do feel like that must have been a lot of pressure for Eli Roth to be like, no, I don't want to make something that's like Scream. So Roth was inspired to write the script based on his own experience with a skin infection transmitted while traveling abroad. Various elements of the script were inspired by Roth's favorite horror films, including The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Last House on the Left, and The Evil Dead. And you definitely see that in a couple places. But I do like that this is your quintessential like Cabin in the Woods feature, yep. but with a twist. You know, there is no real killer. Um accepts yourselves dun, dun, dun. so there was an instance during um during the audition process um they were holding auditions for the character of marcy and this was actually going to be done on 9 11 and eli roth and the producers tried to cancel the marcy auditions but the general chaos caused by the attacks made it impossible for them to reach many of the actresses who were, tr- who were scheduled to try out for the role of marcy mm-hmm. um i think I, I i don't know i tried to read online if everybody ended up being okay i think everyone ended up being okay but they didn't have anybody come in um but it was just kind of strange because the scene that they were going to audition with yeah. was a scene right before um, right before Paul and Marcy were going to have sex. And that's the scene where Marcy starts to talk about, oh, you ever uh, know that feeling where you're like on a plane and it's about to go down and um, you just want to grab the next person and just like fuck them. It's just so weird that they were about to do that scene. Um, it's kind of one of those like stories where you were like, where were you on 9-11? Yeah, just that like a crazy so coincidence. Co- crazy coincidence. Um, filming on Cabin Fever began in late 2001 and lasted 24 days on location in North Carolina. That feels quick to me. Um, with an independent movie, I can kind of see it. Cabin scenes were filmed at Catawba Cabin, an isolated spot at Raven Knob Scout Reservation near Mount Airy, North Carolina. So while filming a particular bloody scene, writer Strong decided to go for a walk in the woods between setups. Covered head to toe in blood, he happened upon a group of 35 schoolgirls who were on a field trip. The girls screamed at the sight of this blood-drenched hiker, and then screamed even louder when they realized that the hiker was the star of Boy Meets World. The girls then chased Ryder through the woods. Strong eventually made it back to the film crew and vowed never to wander off between scenes. That's just funny. Like, you're like, uh, you know, I'm kind of bored. I'll, like, walk around for a little bit. Yeah. And then you just, like, you walk into a field trip. Like, this, this seems like something out of a sitcom. Which I love. Though, I always really appreciate the stories of these horrific scenes in horror films and what happened behind the scenes. Like, if you were just, like, this zombie and decided to go get McDonald's drive through Yeah. And people were like, holy fuck. I love that. Because that's something I feel like I would do myself. Um, which I have. Like, when I worked at a haunted house, I would always go after with my friends to McDonald's or, like, a restaurant. And we'd be there, like, in our full getup. Which was awesome. 
Cast member Robert Jones took home the decapitated body prop once at the film Raft and was pulled over while driving home by police officers at gunpoint who thought that corpse... Crew member Robert Jones took home the decapitated body prop once the film wrapped and was pulled over while driving home by police officers at gunpoint who thought the corpse in the passenger seat was real. Do you think he had it like... Uh like the seatbelt was was on and everything. Oh my god, that'd be funny. <laughs> also, that'd be that'd be funny, but it's horrible because he probably didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. The police held Jones at gunpoint until they were able to confirm the lifelike body was only a prop. I wonder what the have they probably he probably had to like give them numbers to the 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 set people and be like, "Can you just let them know that we're working on a movie yeah. and this is not a real thing?" Jordan Latt's distress during her final faceless scene was genuine, as she had just moments earlier seen herself with the gruesome mask on in a mirror for the first time, and the sight reportedly drove her to tears. Oh. Uh, I mean, I think it would be cool I if I had the, the prop makeup, but I'm sure it's different from just having a cool like makeup aesthetic on your face to like being your character for so long and shooting them and then eventually seeing what your character is going to look and being in that position, I'm sure messes with your mind yeah. a little bit. Jordan Ladd wasn't much of a horror movie buff before this film came around. Eli Roth gave her a crash course in horror movies and she became a horror fan. Stealing our idea. I think we should, we should just have Eli Roth on the pod for like a few episodes and then we'll be done with the podcast. I think <laughs> when we can wrap this up in like a big, that is the goal at the end. While we're ready to call it quits of the podcast, um, we'll invite Eli Roth onto the pod and give us a crash course on horror movies. And then you will forever love horror movies for the rest cool. of your life. There you go. We'll make that a promise right now. What, what, <laughs> well, what day is it? It's March 13th while we're filming this, but this is probably going to come out uh, March 16th. So, no. March 15th. Yes, that is the correct. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I swear to God, I'm not uh, messing with time here. So the bowling alley story that Paul tells around the campfire is actually based on a real-life quadruple homicide that occurred in Boston in 1980. A former employee, Brian Dyer, broke in and killed four employees. He bound their hands, three with handcuffs, the fourth with his belt, and bludgeoned them all with a bowling pin before shooting them all once in the head. Three of them died at the scene, while one would die later in the hospital. Dyer was eventually caught and sentenced to four consecutive life terms. He died in prison in 2011. Oh my gosh, that's never, crazy. I never knew that. That's I didn't know crazy. that either. Which must be super disturbing now, looking back at that that scene. Um, in the credits, the actor who played the man in the bunny suit is listed as Will Never Tell. And the bunny suit, that's in the hospital That scene, is in the right? hospital. The random bunny. That's <laughs> I like that little little Easter egg. I don't know what it means. but Do you I think guess, it was like a Shining reference? That's what I thought, too. Because my first instinct, what they were saying, like, oh, they listed it as we'll never tell, makes it such a cool mystery that I feel like, oh, this is definitely taking a little inf an influence from The Shining. But I don't know. I like it. It's I like cool those little way. things where... Um, kind of like how in Halloween, the, the first one, it, he was never like called Michael Myers. He was just called The Shape. 
you know, because we never, we didn't want to associate him with a human. Yeah. You know? Um, all right, guys, we're going to go ahead and take a break. That was our bloody appetizers. And when we come back, we're going to get right into the movie. So stay tuned. Welcome back, ghouls. It is now time to go into our segment. And this is the segment where we actually go into the movie itself. Absolutely. So a man is walking in the woods and cuffs upon a dog that he believes to be sleeping. After poking it a few times, he pulls the dog open and notices that the dog's flesh is rotted, spurting blood on him in the process. This just made me so sad. This poor This is the first time I saw this. I this was a shocker. This was a this was a cool, interesting cold open because it kind of seems like just this this guy in the woods. He seems to be he doesn't seem to be sketchy. He doesn't seem to be he just seems like he's living his life. Um I will say that dog does look dead. Yeah. <laughs> like he's poking it for like quite a while and like what was it like a squirrel or some sort of weasel um that he's hanging in front of the dog's face but i'm like dude dude the dog's dead um you guys know my stance on dogs in horror movies they always are the ones to get it and this movie if you guys are this is like a trigger warning if you guys don't like it as much as i do I mean, well Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Let me backtrack. If you guys aren't, you know, don't like the fact that dogs die in horror movies, uh, let me let you know two dogs do die in this movie. So it's this first dog. At, l- at least it's like neither one of them really let you get attached to the dog. Yeah, they come in and like and then they leave. There's not much to it. I do believe I read online that there was a lot of just like hassle with the dogs. Uh, Eli Roth had a different looking dog for our main dog that comes in later on in this okay. film. Um, but then the dog apparently just was like not about it. He didn't want to do it. So he had to reshoot the film with a different dog for those specific scenes and it was a police dog but apparently he was very highly reactive and a lot of the cast did not want anything to do with the dog so a lot of the scenes with the dog had to be shot on their own without any cast members so that's why there's a lot of like coming back and forth coming back oh, and forth. that makes so much sense so they were never like actually in the same room they just it was like the editing magic that they did which is really cool and so now that even solidifies in my mind that nothing bad happened to the to the puppers <laughs> yeah and i do want to shout out the opening to this movie too while we're talking about the first scene, mm-hmm. because something that that uh, I think the opening did really well was was setting you up to just feel so unsettled from the get go, because mm-hmm. you just you start with this like white screen, and then it slowly starts to turn more red. And you hear the flies buzzing all around you, and flies uh, just like <gasps> make you think that of is death. the first thing that I told you that like there's something about the sound of flies that just makes you just like want to sweat, like it bothers you, like you can't help but just like feel it in your ear and you kind of just want to like swap it over swap 
swipe, swipe it away. Swap, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do uh I do think like maybe part of it is that flies are so um they're so tied to like 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 rot and death and and so like just hearing the flies everywhere and they're used in a lot of different places throughout the movie you don't really ever see flies but when you hear Mm -hmm. the uh, when you hear a bunch of flies you know you're about to stumble onto a dead body yeah and it kind of makes sense with the film with the virus that they're facing is that their their flesh is pretty much rotting away um spoiler alert but yeah, this beginning title card, they do have an opening credits, and I'm always a fan of horror movies that take the time to just give you opening credits. I don't know why, but I do like it, especially if they have a cool aesthetic to it. And this one is, yeah, just setting you with the tone, the flies, and it starts with a white screen that starts to just like feel like it's drenched in blood, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, we go into this part with the man and then we see the dog and you really think it, like it is just a dog. And when he lifts the leg, it just, it's just like an empty hollow hole in this dog with like blood. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, that was a nice little shocking twist. Like it wasn't a jump scare. It just was like a shocking revelation that you didn't, you didn't See coming, I guess. So, meanwhile, five college friends, Jeff, Marcy, Paul, Karen, and Bert, are driving in a van through rural Alabama on their way to the woods where they have rented a cabin in the woods. Along the way, they stop at a local convenience store for food where a young boy outside the store bites Paul on the hand. The locals standing nearby look at the outsiders in their town with suspicion and scorn. So uh, we meet our characters. Yeah. Marcy is giving me uh, 100% the Rachel with her hairdo. Oh, yeah. And this would be still... I mean, no, it's kind of ending the height of our friend's legacy here because they started just like so early 90s. I will say, besides the exception with Paul, sometimes, sometimes, because even Paul is an awful character. Yeah. I do not like these characters. They all seem very just annoying. And I kind of feel like that's the point. Well, and they also don't like ever really feel like friends. Like they all hate Bert <laughs> for good reason. And Bert hates like everyone else. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jeff seems like, you know, the rich kid who just like is very hoity toity a little bit. Marcy is Marcy's actually the only one that I was on board with. Like at first I wasn't sure, but then eventually she was like Probably the the one she had the attitude to stand up to the to the guys here. She, yeah. she was like, "No, I'm not fucking around here. I'm 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 mean business." And when he was like, when Bert was setting fire to to the woods, pretty much, he was about to start a forest fire. She ha- let him have it, and I'm very glad about that. So I really was happy with Marcy. She was the only one who was like, "I'm gonna go get help. I'm not waiting around here." And she took the what the canoe over to the other side of the, the yep. island. So. Very much of a Marcy stand here, except maybe, you know, she didn't really need to have sex with Paul, I guess. But <laughs> Karen is 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 there. She, she kind of just feels lost to me a little a, a few times because she doesn't know what her relationship with Paul is for most run of the movie. Well, it does sort of seem like she was sort of like just toying with him or teasing him for a yeah. while. And Bird, Burge, Bert is, li- is just 
despicable. I I hated this character. And even when they try to redeem him a little bit by the end of the movie, I still didn't care. Yeah, um, I mean, like, he's, he's over here, like, going off to, to shoot squirrels, and he just decides to... He has a fire pit, and instead of starting a fire in the pit, he puts, like, lighter fluid around in a ring around yeah, the fire. If he if this... If this uh, if this virus didn't get him, he would most likely eventually kill people down the line. Like he was a serial killer in the making. Uh, so yeah, and then we get this scene with where the kid bites Paul on the hand, which is so random, so crazy. Didn't he bite Bert on the hand? No, he bites Bert at the end, where he yells "pancakes" and he flips in like a karate uh, moves. Yep. And then he bites him. And then for some reason, I guess his blood tastes very bad because he was like, oh, this is bad. Um, because this, at this point, we already know that he's infected. Yep. But at the same time, as random as it is, it is kind of setting up this weird relationship with us in contact. You know? Yeah. Like, he's this kid is just biting people out of nowhere. Like, it's no business. And Paul's like, ah, you know? And then he goes over to the water and cleans his hand on the water. And for me, I'm like, I mean, that seems like it's dirty water. Um, and then we have, like, these other random dogs that come out of nowhere. And he's just, like, petting them. And I just feel like this might not seem like the place to just, you know... And again, maybe this is my mind from the past two years of facing this pandemic where we're all, like extra focus on cleanliness yeah it is like i i think it's i think you're right i think it's something that like we're looking at this at the post-covid mindset where we're like i don't know is that water really clean whereas <laughs> like maybe beforehand we would have been like oh this is a cute dog and like i mean i i do really dislike the fact that uh that both times that dennis bites somebody uh dennis's behavior is fully excused by his father and his yeah, father his gets mad at the other people for getting bitten especially, by dennis. especially the second time the first one was like uh paul or someone said you should probably put up a sign if you know oh uh, it was jeff he, jeff was like you should put up a sign or you'll be held liable which then they eventually did <laughs> uh but for real like i was actually kind of happy that he was like because in reality yeah if what if this kid had a disease or something? I don't know. Like, don't be biting other people like that. And if you're a parent, you should probably address this. Well, um, I mean, I guess it's like, this seems to be a small town because the, the dad then is like, everyone knows you don't sit by oh, Dennis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is also establishing the fact that we're, these kids are very they're the outsiders. Yeah, they're, they are definitely the outsiders and they probably don't belong there. Um, which is, okay. Um so they go in. They apparently stop at this place just to get sandwiches. I don't think they got anything else. They just stopped here to get food, right? Uh, no, they got some beer and they might have gotten well, some still. ice. But I think that like that this this seems to be like the the place that you go to get all your stuff. It almost seemed like they called ahead to like have food ready for them when they got there because like, it was pretty quick. <laughs> and and the the grandfather mentioned something about. Uh, Something about having their sandwiches in the back or something like that. Yeah. And then they go off and they're heading over to the cabin. Everything seems uh, very nice. Uh, I would love to, to not necessarily go to this specific neck of the woods, but like when camping wise, it seems like perfect weather to go to the cabin. Yeah. You know? 
Um, when they arrive at the cabin, Jeff and Marcy immediately retire to their bedroom and have sex. Like, but it, like immediately is the right word to use here. It's like <laughs> they put their stuff down. They're like, "All right, let's go fuck." Like, not even put anything away. Yeah, and the others seem like this is not normal either because Paul, I think, like tries to like talk to him at some point and like get the fuck out of here. Oh, because he asked him like, "Do you want to go to the beach?" Like, no, yeah, I don't want to go there. And also, same here. I, I don't know. I like to kind of settle into the house a little bit, maybe have lunch. I don't know if they ate their lunch on while they were driving, but I would save it until I got to the cabin. <laughs> I don't know. That's just me. Um, and then I'll like, okay, let's see what we're doing. Let's plan here. What's the game plan? Um, Paul and Karen go for a swim in the lake while Bert goes hunting for squirrels in the woods for some odd reason. He accidentally shoots the man who discovered the rotting dog in the beginning of the film while hunting, who he mistook for a squirrel. Yeah, you know, person, squirrel, they're easily confusable. Yeah, uh, this whole interaction was kind of weird. We can briefly talk about the interaction between Paul and Karen. Uh, They're sitting by a very, like, Friday the 13-esque kind of uh, uh, silhouette where they're just on this boardwalk and they're suntanning and by the lake. And uh, they're just talking about how Paul is super horny for Karen since they were, like, in middle school or something like that. Eighth grade, I believe, right? Yes. Or third grade. Eighth grade. We've known each other since eighth grade. Since eighth grade. And he's just been wanting to have sex with her. Apparently now's the time. This is the moment. And Karen is just like, she def. I have a feeling like she definitely knows this. Yeah. I don't think they're ever like, besides the point where he gets sick, uh, where she gets sick and decides to want to have sex or get intimate, um, nothing tells me that she wants to do this. Or, no, no, not, not like a relationship. Well, yeah, she. I don't think that she wants a relationship, but like she was definitely toying with him a little bit because he's like, well, you know, Karen, how long have we known each other? Since like eighth grade, right? Yeah. You know, I've always wanted to like, I've, I've wondered if maybe you like wanted to do and Paul something. Is surely, and then- like, the as much as he ends up being our like final boy by the end of the movie but at the beginning he's just focused on sex or yeah. like just this intimacy that he wants to have with karen but because he finds her hot but then like karen does like kiss him and then like roll off of the platform and start swimming and like yeah, invite she's definitely him to chase her teasing she, him a yeah, lot yeah i would say i don't want to say it's toying because i don't know if she's toying but i definitely think she's teasing him a little bit she's like no not everything's so fast I'm going to make you work for it. That's yeah. how I want to say it. Maybe yeah. she's, she's girl bossing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so by this time, the man's face has become badly rotted. Scared, Bert shoots him again in order to repel him and runs back to the cabin. Um, yeah. So this man does not look good. He does not look mm-hmm. healthy. He definitely seems like his flesh is starting to go. A little bit of a um, vitamin C deficiency, maybe. Especially because the the blood has splurted into his face. Oh, yeah. Um, because of from his dog, which is poor, poor guy. He's just having a, a bad day today. Um and he starts, he's in this manic per, like behavior because Bert is kind of saying, stay away from me, stay away from me. And as a result, I feel like Bert shouldn't, like, it, yeah, I guess you're trying to defend yourself, but this man hasn't really done anything to you yet. Um, I would just 
run. This guy, what's the worst? He's already limping. He's already uh, not in the best of shape. So you probably can just run. But instead, he threatens him with a few gunshots. Would you do the same? Uh, no. Um, I mean, I don't think that he was necessarily in the wrong for like this guy who clearly had some sort of disease was kept like stumbling towards him. And yeah. you're like, no, stop. Get away from me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that he was necessarily wrong, but I would have I would have just run away. I wouldn't have stood there to find yeah. out what's going on. I could just be in the filters that I do not like birds. So maybe I'm just finding reasons. I'm sorry. This is toxic behavior. So <laughs> that evening, uh, the five kids, oh, yeah, they decide he doesn't mention anything. He doesn't mention anything to any of his friends that he just saw this person in the woods and he, he doesn't look well. He seems like he's going to come after me. Um and he also, this is where Marcy puts out the fire and calls him like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you could literally, like, cause yeah. a fire, for you, like a, a woods fire. Smokey here. the Bear was very disappointed. You don't start a fire, and uh, the outside of the fire ring, no less, and then just walk away. Yeah. So that evening, the five kids build a bonfire and share ghost stories with each other. They soon encounter a local college kid named Grimm, who was played by the one, the only, Eli Roth, who approaches them with his dog, Dr. Mambo, which I really like. I I like the name Dr. Mambo. That's funny. It uh, is a good name for a dog. Mm-hmm. And what kind of dog is he? Is he um German Shepherd? I think so. Yeah. Though he acts a little eccentric, they allow him to join in when he offers them marijuana. I mean, don't take weed from strangers. But it's the early 2000s. Everyone's like, you know how, like, in the 70s, your doors were always unlocked. They didn't really care. Um, or maybe I'm talking about the 50s. But maybe, like, I feel at like this time, yeah, let's share a little bit of weed. He doesn't seem menacing, even though, even though sometimes Eli Roth does look a little, like, scary looking. Eli Roth is very weird to me because I do think he's attractive, but in a, like, gothic way. Is that weird? No, I don't think so. The only thing that I, I like him with clean shaven, I don't like him with the goatee. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't look good with the goatee in this one. That's for sure. Um. So, yeah, he they, they decided to smoke weed. They were like, yo, get the fuck away from him. And he was like, but what am I going to do with all this weed? And they're just like, you know what? What are we talking about? What are you talking about? Come on in here. We can do this. However, once it starts raining, he take, he leaves to take care of his camping equipment, and the group retreats into the house. Um, during this whole time, they before this, they were talking about what we mentioned earlier in Bloody Appetizers about the story of the murder that happened, or like the um, held at gunpoint yeah. place, yep. uh, the story that we mentioned before, which do you think that... It offers something to the story. Well, they're telling ghost stories around the fire. No, but like, do you do you think it, it's like symbolic of something? I'm not saying that it's pointless because I do like this uh, this little because we're kind of getting to know their relationship with each other, and I like the that we're like taking a moment away from what we're doing to talk about this. But do you think it's symbolic to what what ends up happening? I don't think so. Although at the time I was looking for it, and I think I was confusing um, this movie a little bit with Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely a different 
Because in that one, they're all it's a similar thing where like the teenagers are, are telling scary stories around the campfire. And yeah. Then, and then they were actually telling the story about like a local killer. Yeah. But no, no, not that one. But no, this was definitely like just a ghost story. I don't think that it's necessarily an allegory for what's happening to them. I don't know. I just thought maybe, I don't know. But then it just seems like they, Eli Roth just wanted to do something different and <laughs> added it into it. Um, so later on that night, they hear knocking at the door and discover it's the diseased man that Bert shot before. And like here, I was like, just shut the door. Just, yeah, just I, I would not. Well, no, here's the thing. He does escalate it a little bit. He decides to take their car. Yeah, but just shut the door. Yeah, but then I think in their minds, it's like, oh, crap, this guy's taking our car, which that you can eat. You can, you know, approach this to somebody later on and be like, well, this guy took our car and, you know, make a police report or whatever. Uh, but it also seems like the cops in this town aren't reliable either so um yeah i feel like they're kind of shit out of luck here because they kind of had to confront him in some sort of way so desperate for help the hermit comes after the group he tries to drive away in their car but vomits blood all over the windscreen and the seats of the car when he did this i was like oh no yeah that car's not going anywhere especially because this is a type of movie where you kind of have to know what's going to happen to these kids so what the minute that he throws up you know that this virus is like all over this car which is freaking gross i i honestly would have just burned it i would have burned the car i I don't think i could ever go back in that car i mean it wouldn't be a bad way to make sure that whatever he was like vomiting all over the car was killed yeah because god forbid like other other animals come over and decide like oh this tastes tasty let me let me taste a little bit of this and then they have it and then they spread it and worldwide pandemic in here um which is something that i kind of feel and maybe the other movies do it but i wish we got a little bit more info as to how this started like where did it start it seems that it started with the dog that henry the hermit had so do you think the? but how did the dog get it he could have gotten like bitten by an insect or but how did the insect get it i don't know (laughs) but like these things can can mutate over time i mean viruses especially mutate constantly yeah so this could have been something completely completely innocuous that the the dog happened to get a virus that mutated strangely while it was inside the dog mm-hmm. and uh and then it just became the disease that we saw yeah after the man exits the car paul sets light to the infected man and he runs a flame back into the woods where he dies in the lake which they don't know yet. They don't know that where this man went. As according to this scene, he kind of just leaves, right? Yeah. Um, and they don't know what happens to him, or like they know for sure that he's going to. He's just been engulfed with flames. In the morning, a young deputy, Winston Olson, shows up at the cabin and promises Paul he'll call a tow truck. What do you think of this deputy, Winston Olsen, uh, played by Giuseppe Andrews? Um, because I think he is such an interesting character. Yeah, I think so, too. It's like, 
It's very like small town cop. Like he's the son of the sheriff. He's and- definitely like your frat bro who like thinks he gets all the ladies, but maybe he does because he was talking to like two girls at the end of this movie. But this guy comes in, has a monologue, and then leaves for the remainder of the movie. Um, but when he does come on here, I think he's funny. I think he was really like he's like yeah. Parties, man. Where's the party at? You guys are just partying. But I, my favorite part was was he he kept saying like, "You guys have to keep the party going. The party we know." So he's definitely in here to convince them to stay. Yeah, well, because he just wants like he he lives in a small town, but wants to wants to party, wants to like have fun and do drugs and drink and like it. it this strikes me as the kind of place where there aren't a lot of young people. So and also it does seem. I think Paul mentions it before that it seems that he was just thrown into the role of police officer. Yeah, and so he doesn't have a lot of time to not be the police officer. You know. Yeah. Um, look at us just like creating a backstory for Winston Olsen, just just being like, man, Winston Olsen, he deserves better. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff and Bert walked off down the lake shore when they came, they come to a woman's house to ask for a ride into town. This is where she's like gutting a pig and she notices that the pig, which is something that I, I just said was that the animals are starting to get it but i yeah. also think because at this time the lake is now being infected with with this right? well what she actually said that it's some dog going around biting all her animals i wonder if <gasps> this is henry's dog that like before it died was going around oh, and like biting do you think that or maybe the dogs are the source of this it, the, that dog could have been the original source <gasps> oh poor puppers um, so they soon discovered that the woman was related to the hermit they killed, so they leave quickly. This was something that I like. I didn't, I, I can understand why they reacted this way, but I'm like, you don't have to, you, all you have to do is say, oh, yeah, we don't know anything about Henry. Can you drive us into town? Like, I feel like the more, because they were digging themselves a hole a little bit, they were telling them to be like, everything that they described to this woman. The woman was like, that sounds like it could be my cousin. I think that's what it like. It could be my cousin, but no, he wouldn't do something like that. The more they that they talked about it with them, and by the time like they she joined them and they kind of investigated, they would eventually find out, find the body, yeah. and find out that they were the ones who did this. So I think they got scared and was, I think, the better choice. Obviously, I don't think... They're in a shitty situation, so I don't think that's the best idea. But they are—they were scared enough to be like, "No, nah, we're gonna go. We're gonna go." So I don't blame them for for running away. Yeah, but like they could have at least like asked her to like radio for a tow truck or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, but this is the part where stuff like this is w- what scares me in horror movies, and I've mentioned this before, either on YouTube channel or the or previous podcast episodes, but I do not like where you feel like the whole town is against you. You know, it's like, everyone knows everybody. Take Texas Chainsaw Massacre for a little bit. I was about to use the exact same <laughs> example. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where they were like, fucking running away from Leatherface and they were so fucking scared, and they need help. They had to call the cops, and the cops came, and the cop is knows Leatherface and knows everything's happening so then he then obviously you're scared of the police officer and then uh one scene especially in just uh in the remake Jessica Beale goes over to one of the um 
one of the some, trailer someone's homes. trailer and they're like you need to help me you need to help me and then they poison her because they also know uh leatherface it's like oh my god stuff like that scares me and i feel like we're in this town where um everybody knows everybody so it's like you as an outsider who is not used to coming into this small little town um know if you, you're in trouble either way you're either being hunted by this virus i don't think you cannot be haunted by viruses but still or you're going to meet the fate of this town so you have to get out i thought i thought uh, story-wise it was smart how eli roth wrote it where not only were they trapped without a cell phone but they also compromised their car because then they're going to meet the fate of the virus yeah i mean I, I get where you're coming from because I do also feel like this woman could have totally like if if she found out that that they had killed Henry, because, yeah, no, because, even if it was truly self defense, which it was, like she they would not know take that. it like that because yeah. take take how they uh, reacted at the end of the movie. They got a bunch of guns. Yeah, it's these outsiders coming and they in, try just to kill screwing them. up everything. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel, and also that Winston is probably they already know each other, so they probably will turn. Oh, an eye and you also see it at the end of the movie where they realize what the disease has come from and where it originated and they kept everything hush hush they were like oh you need to get rid of this this problem but winston's uh winston's complete ineptitude oh yeah ends he didn't up, get rid of the, the yeah, problem it ends up being a, a continued issue but yeah we'll <laughs> talk about that when we get to it yeah uh, but what i'm saying pretty much is that you know yeah we could try to dissect this plot a little bit more but I think it's I think it gives us good reason as to why they can't just immediately leave. Um, you know, even though they have the, those resources to do it, uh, there's good reasons why they have to stay. You know? Yeah. During this time, Karen drinks a glass of water from the lake contaminated by the infected man and begins to feel ill. She goes to bed to rest. Paul later discovers rotten boils on her thighs. Now, let's. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about this a little bit more because this is actually one of the scenes that I saw in the trailer, in the original trailer when it first was coming out. Um, I do remember this and I didn't understand what was happening, but all I know was that he then had blood on his hands. Yeah, this this scene makes my this, skin crawl. When I tell you like Eli Roth and Quentin Tarantino are the source of your sexual nightmares. Like... <laughs> Like the these when it comes to horror, they will make you scared of having sex ever again. Um, so yeah, they're kind of cuddling up. Paul is taking care of Karen, and then you know they take a nap, and then they sleep, and he wakes up. Um, and you're you know they're feeling a little into it. They're you know getting a little uh, feely touchy, and so and you know Karen is all about it. And so Paul decides to go down to the nether regions and start to like offer her a favor. Um, and you're, it's just so, at first, it's very sensual, it's very romantic. It seems like, oh, okay. And then slowly you start to hear you this. You hear like, the goopiness. And it's like, <gasps> yeah. <gasps> it yeah. just feels, and you can only imagine, it, like, you don't see anything. You just see them and the sound effects. And you can only imagine what it is. At first, I honestly thought that her vagina was sacrificed. Like, I was like, oh my God, he is just like, it's just like, just guts like it's just like meaty 
Oh, let me. Why am I? I'm so sorry. There's somebody out there listening to this podcast just like eating cereal and just like, oh my God. I'm sorry. Let me not describe this any further, but go see the movie. But yeah, it later turns out that he was pretty much fingering her thigh that has an open wound. Um, or here, here it says rotten boils. So did he just like pop a boil and was just like fingering the boil? I don't know. I, I don't know that he was like, well, <laughs> we don't, it's purely conjecture that we think that he was fingering anything. He may have just been like feeling around down there <laughs> and not like trying to penetrate her with his fingers. I know, but like, it's literally yeah, when, it, when they, when we reveal, when he takes out the blanket, you see that there is an open wound yeah. in, his, in her thigh. And again, I'm so sorry if you're like eating dinner right now and listening to us. I am so sorry about that. Um, enjoy. enjoy. <laughs> but I just like, I don't know. I feel like I, I would hope that he would know the difference between fingering a boil and he was like <laughs> fingering her. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, I don't think we're, we're very qualified to really. We're not. That. We're not. We're not. All right. We're going to move on. So at this point, uh, it is revealed to the rest of the group. And oh, they're all these people are hostile. Like when they discover any sort of germs, they are the sorts of germophobia or mysophobia because they're like yelling at you and being so freaking like confrontational when it comes to that. Like especially Bert. Bert is not about anything like gross. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, though, they do the right thing here where they, they quarantine, quarantine her. her and they check each other. At this point, Paul already knows that the that the, the dead guy is in the reservoir. Oh, yeah. He he found him there, but he doesn't know that the, the water is the source of, of how it's being spread. Yeah. Because he drinks water later on. So he knows that the guy is dead. But he doesn't know how it's spread. So they're kind of checking each other to see if anything has come up by all by, you know, for all we know, they already drank some water that we didn't see. But they're checking each other's bodies. They're really just like making sure that Karen is quarantined and they decide to put her in the tool shed with her bed, which is like kind of awful. Why not just keep her in the bedroom? Well, I think that they're trying to like because they don't know. I will be pissed. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm gross and I have a virus, but like I don't at least try to make me comfortable, <laughs> like you know. Well, I mean, maybe, but I also think that like they they don't know anything about how this spreads, so the correct thing to do in this scenario yeah. is to remove her from the house because then they don't have to worry. Like, what if like she? What if the house only has one bathroom? Now they have to all share the bathroom with her, and they don't know how it spreads. Yeah, that's true. I will say they they kept telling her like we're always going to make sure that we're somebody's going to stay out here. Nobody stood out there for her. Like so they were all in the cabin, like doing other things. Yeah. Um. So fearing that they will soon become infected with whatever's ailing Karen, as well as the man the night before, the others begin to argue with one another over what they should do about their situation the next day they discover karen's condition is deteriorating fast Bert also realized that he himself is infected with the virus who he like uh, this was another thing like does it always start near the groin because um he lifts he unzips his button and he sees that it's starting to i guess create a rash or whatever it is it might um which then that also goes into the territory of like 
Friday the 13th where it's like the fear of having we should do like the fear of having sex um, <laughs> just, um because then it's like oh, don't have sex rules jason's gonna kill you this one's like don't have sex rules well i feel An like actual gonna, disease is gonna happen. i feel like if you're gonna do fear of having sex you need to do like teeth or something like that Ooh, or it follows which you don't know about i but, do not know about um which a lot of people love that movie. So maybe we'll, we'll go into that one next um, for the next time we do this. So, yeah, Bert realizes that he himself is infected with the virus. And Bert drives off to find a doctor. You know what? I at least this did like and I know uh, I, I, I know you said earlier that like you never really like Bert, even though the movie tries to redeem him a little bit. And I also feel like I ended up not being a fan of his at the end. But. But this did redeem him a little bit in my eyes where he's like, because uh, they try to get her into well, the car and then she throws up all over the the car that they just cleaned. Oh, yeah. That and, just sucked. And then they're like, well, what do we do now? And Bart's like, I'm well, still going to go because no, he, they he's start to infected. also Yeah. They start to also accuse him of not being well. Yeah. Because they see it in his face. They were like, you don't seem well. What's going on with you? It's like, you have it. At this point, the movie's kind of shifting. It's like, who is a, the bigger douchebag out of the group, which will be then Jeff, because Jeff is very much like, I'm not getting anywhere near you guys anymore. Like, he's very not about it. And since it's like getting really bad because they're kind of just also, I mean, Karen is infected, but like Paul and Marcy really don't. I feel like they should at least have gloves or a mask on while like lifting her up and trying to take her on to the car. I feel like they should have been a little bit more prepared because at this time you probably already have this whatever is spreading. And I also want to ask, is it is it airborne? Is it like just by contact or is it needs to get into your like an open wound or something like that? Like I want to know a little bit more of how you get this cuz obviously in this situation, these these college students are not going to be able to find all these answers unless they find some sort of doctor out of nowhere in, in the cabin. Yeah, I don't think that it's airborne based on what we know. Yeah. But... Um, it well, you could, do have to drink it. You well, can you drink could, it. You could drink it. It might be something that, like, with contact with your body, like how they take a, they take a bath and then, yeah. and then they get it. Um, that's that's the more likely thing i mean i I think it's something that like like covid you could like cough out uh particulate yeah okay in like water or blood that you're coughing out that that might stick around in the air for a little bit but uh but i mean this is this seems like something that's waterborne primarily well it also seems like everyone gets it in different places so like karen starts to have it mostly in her face and her thigh uh Bert starts to have it in his like upper like groin groin area and also I believe around his neck. I could be mistaken that, but at some point I see like he like starts to like have redness yeah. more. And Marcy gets it later on on her back mostly. Yeah. Right. And then later on on her legs. Um, so well, it, it seems like it's all kind of scattered or maybe depending on how they interact with the uh, infection. Well, that's what I was going to say is I think I think partially it has to do with like with, with uh, physical trauma to some extent, like not like beating somebody's head in. But uh, but we see when Marcy 
has sex with Paul that like the his hand marks on her back uh, start to deteriorate, yeah. and when she's just like shaving her leg, it comes off. Yeah, which we'll we'll get to that that scene when we get to it. Um, so yeah, at this point, it's kind of like they're all turning up against each other. Bert decides to just drive off because he's like, fuck you guys. I'm not sticking around for this, uh, bullshit. Like, uh, he was also kind of cool with having Karen in the front seat with her. But at, I feel like at that point, he's also in the same boat with her. So he doesn't really think, who cares at this point? Yeah. But again, you know, I'm being open to Bert maybe having a redeeming quality. Um, when Paul and Marcy insist on helping Karen, Jeff runs off into the forest with the remaining beer, the only reliable drinking source. Marcy yells at him as he flees, upset that he has abandoned her. Which he sort of does. But I also think that, like, you, they probably could just boil the water and then they wouldn't need to worry about but it. But they don't know that it's the water. They don't know that that's where the 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 virus is coming from yeah um or the easily accessible for them to get it into their system um but paul does know that like that the there is a dead guy in the water system but they don't know what they have yet they don't know that that it, it's in its blood and that the blood is it going into the water and that's how the water gets infected but don't they isn't the reason that jeff runs off with the beer is because they can't drink the water no because remember there's a significant point in which paul walks towards the water and he sees the dead body in there you know he'd have they he hasn't gone he oh, hasn't had he that hasn't, revelation oh, yet. I thought that he already did. No, he did because he then becomes wet because he dropped like oh, falls into true. the water. That's true. You're right. I'm wrong. Sorry, <gasps> audience. Oh my god! Everybody, mark it in their calendars. It is today <laughs> where I where Cody has admitted that he's wrong about this particular <laughs> issue. Let's be clear. <laughs> That's one point for me. <laughs> So meanwhile, Bert drives to the convenience store that the group uh, revisited, uh, visited earlier, pleading for a doctor. He shows increasing signs of infection. The young boy on the bench then runs over and bites Bert again. Now I'm saying this as if he like just like runs over and just like decides to bite him. No, he doesn't. He's, He's like he, he goes yells, all extra. He yells pancakes. Which guys, if you you know what that means, or if there's a joke that we're missing, or an insight thing inside information that we're not knowing about let us know because i didn't know why he yelled at pancakes um maybe we'll never know but he decides to do some karate in slow motion and this is actually pretty cool story-wise because they set up this this kid that's kind of odd from the beginning of the movie knowing what he does and then now we've experienced a lot of like traumatic things during the movie so when it they slow it down and we as an audience member know that uh oh this kid's going to if we if somebody doesn't stop him he's going to but at the same time are you on the side of the kid because no. it's like okay we're all fine we're fine this is what I mean where like maybe Eli Roth was meaning to put horrible characters at the forefront I'm not saying like they're bad characters but they're just like personality wise they're not the best well i think so when they experience these events it's not as 
traumatic as it could be you know i actually think it might be the other way around i feel like maybe eli roth is having the main characters the side characters everyone really have like some sort of really unredeeming quality about them and Mm -hmm. you just like you don't really like anybody and it gives you this almost like moral quandary as the audience where you're like who do i root for because you've got Uh, these five main people who i don't like but also you don't want them to die a horrible death you've got like this kid who like clearly like he has some sort of uh you know mental thing going on yeah but he you also don't want him to he's die. like on a spectrum yeah, like, yeah. But, but you don't want him to like you know that if he comes over and he bites bird that he's gonna get this virus so like you there's there's no real person that you want to win that you're really rooting for but you also aren't rooting against them so you as the audience are constantly in this thing of like who am I supposed to be on the side of? Whereas yeah, in no. other movies, mm-hmm. it's very clear. You know, you're on the side of Laurie Strode when Michael Myers is attacking her. Yeah. Or like, you know, we can point to all these other slasher movies and it really turns it on its head. And I can see now why they would have wanted it to be more like Scream because when you're in this initial horror revival in the mid 90s, the audience wants someone to root for. You want your final girl. You want someone yeah. to get out of it. And here, like the way the movie is shaping up at this point, you're like, I don't really like any one and i don't see how anyone's getting out of this alive i honestly think you like turned my beat around um because um like i feel like now that goes with a lot of eli roth rob zombie movies as well i feel like they go into this kind of letting the the audience decide yeah these are awful characters and they have awful traits to them but like they are also experiencing something bad so you too so you like you are in that hot seat so it's like okay so it could be like a different experience for each viewer yeah um you know i i think that it's a really good way to tell this story because it's not your simple it's not your simple formulaic horror movie this mm-hmm. is something that makes you uh that makes you think and in that way it was maybe a little bit before its time uh as a horror maybe. movie and maybe that's why they remade it and try to like go a different route with it i now it's making me interested to watch the the remake um but yeah good point i mean look at us uh analyzing this movie this is great so yeah um at this point bird speeds off because it turns out that the dad really picked up on this virus really fast they're like you have a virus if you gave this virus over to my son i'm gonna kill you like he was very about it uh about making sure that this guy got his just desserts and so he got his boys to come with him with the with the rifle to hunt them down and he told one one specifically one person to grab the toolkit i believe i think it was just called the kit grab the, the kit. kit and like it makes you wonder is this something that's happened before that like that's what i'm saying they see this and they I just like, know maybe that's like a this virus has gone around before and so it's like they have to keep close eye on outsiders who come into this town. And I'm going to spoil it right right now for the listeners. We never find out what's in the kit. Oh, I'm yeah. so mad about this it. This certain character holds a box with him, like for sure. And we see it. And he there, starts they made a point opening of it. it. He starts opening it, especially during a time where he's about to get hurt. So it seems like there's something in there that he needed to do. And apparently uh, Cody looked it up to see if we ever find out what happens. Because we don't see it in the movie. The movie never opens that box. But when we say, like, what's in the box? What's in the box? We don't know. We we honestly don't know. But if you guys know or have a source, um, 
that tells us, let oh, yeah, us know. Let us we'll, know. we'll mention it in the next uh, episode so we can we can have some closure there. Yeah. One thing I do want to kind of point out before we move on to the next scene is that the father did at least put out a sign that says, do not sit next to Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking out. He's looking out. So Bert speeds off and the father grabs two of his friends uh, who armed themselves with rifles to go after Bert to kill them. Now alone in the cabin, Paul finds Marcy sitting despondently on her bed. He tries to reassure her, but she reiterates that they're doomed to get sick to the point where all you want to do is grab the next person next to you and have sex with uh, with them because you know you're going to be dead soon anyways. So Paul and Marcy then begin to have sex with each other, doing as what Marcy said before. Paul expresses concern that they aren't using a condom. Marcy brushes him off without heed by saying, don't worry. I'm healthy, which is a very ironic thing to say in this situation. Yeah. Because of what everything's we, yeah, going we on. We know you're not. We know you're not. But like, this is also like, it, it, I mean, he's, I guess he's uh, here to practice safe sex, even when you're both going yeah. to die in the next day. Also, like, maybe, obviously, you know, safe sex, definitely, but important, always. Important. But I think, I think. If it wasn't for this, uh, the circumstances, maybe this wouldn't have been a bigger issue as as normally um, for these characters. Um, but yeah, we do get a glimp, glimpse of while they're having sex, uh, Paul is grabbing onto her back and we see the redness, the e- how easily it is. And we already know that Marcy has it now. Yep. Like Marcy is showing those symptoms. So after they finish having sex, Paul worries about whether Marcy has the disease or not. He goes into the bathroom and attempts to disinfect his penis by pouring Listerine over it. And I do want to be clear, if the if, <laughs> if you're trying to disinfect your penis uh, right after having sex with someone who may or may not have a flesh-eating uh, virus that may or may not be sexually transmissible, um, a... Uh, Listerine does not have a high enough alcohol content to be useful for that approach. In fact, but most, it could help a little bit. Probably not. The the if you really want to like, it, it's not going to do you any good if you kill everything except what for do you one mean, of like them. a like a hand wipe or something you, like one of you those like aim um, for about seventy percent. I mean, we've all heard this with COVID. It's true generally across the board. You want to aim for around seventy percent or higher of alcohol content. So even like your basic like. This goes back to the old thing about pouring like vodka on your wound when you're badass and you just got shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Like that isn't really going to do you any good because it's not strong enough to kill anything and it actually makes your wound worse. Okay. Well, so sorry for Paul and his penis. Uh, It seems. um, It seems pretty risky to just have sex in this situation. But you know what? You know, you. You only have one life to live. So um, while washing her face, uh, Marcy, also, let's let's take a back. Like, look at us on this podcast looking out for you guys. Just in case there is a flesh eating virus like in cabin fever. You got us to to yeah. refer back Boil to your water. And then use pour hand sanitizer. It on your penis. No, don't pour oh, no. <laughs> water on your penis. Don't do it. Don't do that. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> Backtracking your honor. Anyways, um, so while watching her face, Marcy discovers with worry some red marks on her back, where Paul grabbed her in the heat of their sexual encounter. A little later, Paul tells Marcy that he's going to go bring back Jeff so that they can all walk back to civilization. Marcy urges him to stay, but Paul seems uncomfortable around her after sleeping with her, and this is that he has to get out of the cabin. Now completely alone, Marcy has a bath and weeps. 
The marks Paul made on her back are shown to be developing into gruesome wounds like Karen's. So hers is kind of, they kind of seem like they're happening really fast. They are progressing very fast. They're quickly. progressing much faster than they did for the others. Uh, so Paul heads over to the local reservoir and notices a body floating in the lake. He climbs down the ladder and moves the body with a stick, which is like... I don't know, man. If the body doesn't seem to be to be moving, take a note of it and also, come back to it. How many burned corpses do you think there are around here on a daily basis? And this guy seems like the uh, like yeah. The best idea for me to do is to go into the like try to go down this already not really secure ladder and try to poke it with a stick. So he sees that it is an infected person. The dock's ladder rots and gives way, causing Paul to fall into the infected water, ensuring that he's definitely infected by this point. Yeah, there's no getting there. The minute that. that he that that broke and he fell into the water, I felt it. I was like, ah, no. Ugh. But you know what I would have done at this God, point? It's, it's 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 one of those moments where you're just like, it's all over me. It's all over me. You know? Yeah, but like this is when you get up and you just go into you you go up and, sw- and get naked? into the lake. I mean, I would take my clothes off. I think I would take my clothes off. But too. like you go into the lake that's like the next step up because this guy is in a is in a little like part of the reservoir no, but that's you're below the dam. The other water. So. No, I wouldn't do it. All I'm saying is that if you can get yourself into a body of water where you can like flush yourself immediately, which which we know he can, mm-hmm. then then he might he might have been fine. Then he might have been able to make it. Yeah, maybe. Big maybe, big maybe. So back at the cabin, Marcy is shown shaving her legs in the bathtub. This is a very iconic scene. This is I want to say this shaving scene might be on par with a lot of like fears that people have you know what this is on and par have probably with traumatized them for me is the scene from black swan where natalie portman pulls oh, her high nail up the ah, whole way yes yeah. oh my god yeah, yeah this, trauma i couldn't watch this at first so if you're if you're not familiar just in case you're just being introduced to the movie like we are now um as we're talking about it i mean What we're saying is that so she is shaving her legs and you one thing about the scene is the sound design because you hear like the scrapes as you're like as she's uh, shaving her legs. And then eventually you start to see the wound like the the flesh (laughs) peeling away. So the more that she shaves the more skin she starts to peel off and she just keeps doing it now i will say i was going to go into this podcast and kind of just read her a little bit be like why the hell would you continue to do it but i do think that at this point marcy has kind of lost it a little bit well i like emotionally and mentally i think she's like lost it and she's trying to pretend like everything's fine yeah and that's why she continues to do it and the hoping that the next scrape is just gonna go away i think that this is just her trying to regain some some feeling of control over her life yeah i think so too and it sucks because i really did like marcy i think she was such like a strong character in this movie and it's so sad the way that she goes by the end of this movie but yeah this 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 uh shaving scene is pretty gory and does get under your skin a little bit um so proceed with caution when you watch this uh 
So she runs outside upset and is attacked by a now infected Dr. Mambo. At this point, we don't know what happened to Grimm, uh, the man who stopped by the, 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 this group and offered the marijuana. But Dr. Mambo, we have seen here and there. They've been kind of scaring Dr. Mambo off a little bit. Um, but it seems like this dog is infected. Paul returns to find Marcy's body ripped to pieces. And by ripped to pieces, I mean, like, you you see chunks of her, like, just spread out. Um, and Dr. Mambo eating a motionless Karen's face. The dog attempts to attack him, too. However, Paul kills him with a Bert's, with Bert's rifle. We don't see it. We just hear the... The sound of the the gunshot. So yeah. that's really good. Now alone, Paul goes to check on Karen, whose skin has now fully rutted off. She is barely alive. To end her suffering, he clubs her and impales her with a shovel and then runs for help. Uh, I I will say, I feel like clubbing her, like what if you're thinking of like, let me put it out of its misery. I don't think the first thing is to club her because yeah. she's still alive and she could still be alive by like the fourth or fifth time you bang her in the head with the shovel. Yeah, this uh, uh, we talked about this when we were watching the movie, too. It's just like I feel like there would have been there. There are better ways to to kill her. I, I would mean, just maybe like using the rifle that you just shoot used to kill the dog. Yeah, but then he would not have a, much ammo in the rifle. But still, if you want to put her out of her misery the shotgun were probably better um but the makeup effect on, on this was really cool oh yeah it when was she turns around realistic. and you just see her like full like teeth oh yeah gross but but a cool gross <laughs> just then bert struggles back to the cabin with the mob pursuing him when bert's pursuers open the door bert tries to shoot one of the men but is killed by a shotgun round but then Paul comes and successfully kills the store owner and his friends. After fleeing the cabin, Paul decides to look for Jeff. He checks a cave, thinking Jeff is inside, but only to find Grimm's dead body. Mm -hmm. And I believe we see, like, he, but it's not just like a dead body. It's literally half of his body. Or maybe, like, like his body torn in two, because maybe, like, something was eating at him. Or it, maybe this. Uh, it could have been his dog. The dog could have been eating at him, or it, oh, it seems like this dog has is, has tendencies to just eat people. Yeah, so it could have been him. But I do, we do get a shot of like a bug or some sort of insect eating something. So for me, I was like, oh, maybe this is the animal who was like started it. But also maybe it's hinting that like, oh, now animals are going to start to get infected, like insects. Um, which is then just going to cause a whole commotion. Yeah. Paul then runs back to Bert's pursuer's car and drives into town. Along the way, he slams head on into a deer, damaging the windshield and the car. He continues on foot until he sees a roadside party thrown by local teens with Winston in attendance. Uh, this deer scene was, for me, disturbing. Again, I, I'm a very big animal lover, and I hate to see animals in distress in this dog. I mean, this, this deer seemed like it was in distress when it was hit. So, um, yeah. Winston asked Paul about the tow truck just as police officers gets on the radio warning Winston about Paul and his group who are infected with a strange disease and that they're to be shot on sight. After all of the party attendees leave, Paul knocks Winston out with a stick. Paul is picked up by a passing trucker and brought to the hospital. 
So this is also like, this is where it's kind of funny because Winston like now has found a group of people to party with and uh, over the radio before they announced Paul, they're like, Hey Winston, have you found that group of underage drinkers? <laughs> and, and he's like, uh, no, I, I haven't found them. It's so funny. The, but the worst thing about this scene is that Paul confronts Winston being like, what happened to that tow truck? What happened to that the help that you were going to get us? Because it's nighttime by now. Yeah. He promised them it was good, like, what, the afternoon or the morning? Yeah. And nobody stopped by. So at this point, as an audience member, we're like, oh, fuck this guy up. Because he, he just... Well, um, and his response was like, oh, I'm sorry. I totally forgot. Because, like, it, it's possible that at least one of them could have survived if the tow truck had gotten there on time. Oh, um, Maybe he, he didn't say he forgot. Maybe he was like, no... It didn't see. It just didn't seem like it was important. Yeah, it wasn't. Well, because it like I think it was like it slipped his mind. He's like, "Oh yeah, I, I meant to do that today. I'm sorry." But no, he said something like, "Oh, I was going to do it," or, "But when I asked them, they were doing something." Like he came up with like a billion excuses. Yeah. So at this point, uh, the other teenagers were trying to gang up on Paul, and then Paul eventually, I think, grabbed one of the guitars and hit one of the kids. Who was playing a harmonica? This is a little bit on the campy side, uh, where it starts to get a little wild, and it, um, and and the harmonica gets caught in the kid's throat, and yeah. you can hear him breathing the harmonica <laughs> as like playing as he does it. That is pretty funny though. <laughs> so the sheriff and doctors interrogate him while he is lying in a hospital bed, trying to discover the source of the infection. But Paul is slightly dazed and unable to answer all their questions. When he is left alone, Paul pulls up his hospital gown to reveal the telltale marks of the disease on his belly. The doctors determine they are not equipped to handle the situation and that he should be transported to a larger nearby regional hospital. His driver turns out to be Winston, of course. Paul tries to warn him about the water in the reservoir, but he can't speak well and only says water. Winston says he will take him to get water. Um, okay, so it seems like the hospital was trying to say, was trying to help Paul and yeah. be like, take him to this hospital where he's going to get better care with people, specialists. Well, I was actually taking it more that they aren't equipped to handle an infectious disease like this. Because like, if someone comes in with what appears to be an unknown infectious disease, there's like precautions you need to take. You mm -hmm. need to set up a quarantine zone. You need to have all the right PPE. It's like this whole big thing. And smaller local hospitals may not have the capacity to be able to do that. Well, no, in addition I, to the care, I think it's I, I think it's both pieces. I do think that, but I don't think it was sinister. Uh, intentions. I agree. I think it was to like, oh, we need further information about this and we just don't have, you know, this. But I do think that the cop that was there was like, Winston, take care of this. You know, it seems like it's an infection that could be a bigger thing and would mean that their small little town will be the source of that. Yeah. So, um, I, I do feel like they were doing some mobster type stuff. Be like, take care of this for us. Yeah, this is definitely where the police officer was like, all right, we're, we're going to clean this up. Yeah, which again, don't trust trust Winston to do anything right. So the next morning, Jeff comes out of the woods. Remember Jeff, <laughs> where he was hiding and makes his way back to the cabin. As he looks around, horrified that his friends are dead, he's suddenly shot by the police. Um, before this, he was like... 
you think that Jeff is a changed man by now. You think that he comes back, he's trying to find his friends, but then he sees his friends and he's, you know, you think he's sad. And yeah, he's like, they're all dead. Like, they're all dead. I, I survived. I, I made it. I made it. I made it. Like he, I was like, oh man, Jeff, there's, your friends are dead. Well, the, the woman that you had sex with that you, I think, loved, maybe her, her, her body parts are scattered. But but this is where the campiness then comes in too because he's like I made it I made it and then he <laughs> opens the door and he gets shot up by the yeah, police yeah brutally shot um yeah and I think this has to do with them making sure that all aspects you know as as long as you're burning the the bodies and no one can can know a thing so the murderous sheriff and his men take Jeff's dead body and pile it out on top of the others, which are burned in a fire pit. While unconscious, Paul is dumped into a stream by Winston and left to die. Paul's body infects the water in the stream. Further down are two kids collecting water for their lemonade stand. They sell some lemonade to the sheriff. His deputies and more locals are at the store. A natural spring water truck leaves the store with bottles of infected water in the truck. Mm-hmm. Which also, and what I like about this ending is that it leaves off with the credits, I believe, rolling while they're having their lemonade and everyone's just chilling and having some sweet music. Like yeah. everyone's in good spirits while we're kind of left as audience member knowing what's going to happen to them. So it's kind of an odd, like, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a satisfying ending. Everyone that we knew from the beginning of this movie does die. Yep. Um, but I was, it, it was okay. Yeah. You I, know, I, w- I wasn't like, oh man, everyone dies. And like, oh, they got I, me in the heart, you know? I think this goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about how like this, this, this has to like, it's trying to break the formula a little bit about what a horror movie usually is because yeah. normally, you know, you, you, the, especially the, at this point in 2000. Yeah. Two or 2003 you defeat the killer and then it's all happy and like this is where you would maybe see like oh it looked like paul survived and there he is with his friend jeff and they're all hanging out or like maybe with karen and like she they're, they're like together or something mm-hmm. no they're all dead you see paul's body like infecting a stream and then you see like these people who know who do not know any better just all slowly infecting themselves yeah. so that they'll I think also it, die. It is like a like dark comedic ending. To, yeah, it's like oh, very black comedy. It's disturbing that everyone's drinking this water and they're still going to spread it around the world. You know, so I I, I do like that aspect of the ending. All right, guys. So that was Cabin Fever. We are going to go ahead and take another break, and when we come back, we're going to go into Just Desserts, where we rate the movie. So stay tuned. Welcome back, guys. It is now time for our Just Desserts segment. And this is the segment where we rate the movie from 0 to 10. First, from 0 to 10, scared Cody's on how scary it was. And then from 0 to 10 on how uh, how we liked the movie overall. Um, so, Cody, from 0 to 10, scared Cody's. How scary was it? I would put this at like... 
maybe a seven or a seven and a half. Was it that scary? I don't think it was so much scary, but it was very gruesome. Oh, okay, okay. Got it, got it. And remember, guys, Cody is not a gore queen. No. He does not like gore in movies. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to give this movie a maybe three and a half, four. Um, because I, 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 maybe I've seen this movie <laughs> a little bit too many times that I, I don't find it as scary. I do find it disturbing in some sort of ways, um, but nothing that kind of blows my mind. So I'm going to stick with a four. Now let's talk about zero to ten boils. Um, <laughs> what would you rate this movie overall? I think I would give it. I think I would give it a four. I I wasn't really a huge fan of it, mostly because there was a ton of gore and not a lot that's like redeeming for me. Well, it wasn't. I will say it wasn't torture porn. Yeah, it wasn't torture porn gore like hostile is that torture pornish area that you're going for where they're purposely making you watch somebody's like body parts come apart you know and this one it kind of seemed like it was a little more grounded yeah and and you know overall i thought that the movie was pretty good i do like that it like got you on that existential crisis along with everybody else you're like i don't know who i'm supposed to like like and it's scary to think about you just like you're you're going off with your friends and then you all get this horrible disease that kills you before you can get help yeah i do like that aspect i think i'm gonna give this a six i i think it's genuinely a easy watch i despite the early 2000s dialogue (laughs) i do think that it was a great debut, or I think debut for Eli Roth, and I think it's solidified as to how he could make a simple premise scary. Um, I do love the the title of it being Cabin Fever, being that Cabin Fever is an actual thing um, that people mention, and the fact that he's kind of playing out along with that with the fact that there is a virus here. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, He sets the atmosphere very well. And the deaths for me were great. I thought the 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 goriness for me were a plus because I do tend to like that stuff when it's done well, um, not for just like the sake of just doing it. Um, so uh, yeah, I will give it a six for me. All right, guys. So that concludes this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and rate us. Uh, We are hoping that you can give us a five star. Maybe, maybe, please. But besides that, make sure to follow us on Instagram at The Horror Bandwagon. Or on Twitter at Horror Bandwagon Know The. You can also visit our website, which is going to be www.horrorbandwagon.com. There you can uh, look at some of our YouTube uh, videos from our YouTube channel, as well as our merch. You can go ahead and purchase some merch. We are looking to uh, pretty much raise money to the Trevor Project. Any profit that we make, we want us to head over there so make sure to go look at our merch and get some of it yourselves and besides that make sure to go over to our youtube channel Mm -hmm. and subscribe we just released our scream 2022 reaction video it's quite a long one it's almost an hour but it's a fun hour you'll get to you pretty much get to watch the movie with us so a lot to discuss about that movie a lot to discuss and it was a it was a good time so make sure to go over on our youtube channel and watch that and With all that being said, guys, 
We'll see you next week where we talk about arachnophobia with homies of horror. We have been your source for horror analysis, criticism, and spooky, okay? And sometimes kooky entertainment. Bye, everyone. Bye.